Bible, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1? Again, my name is Jeremy, and we're beginning uh, a new sermon series through the book of Genesis at Story Church. And uh, if you are using the red Bible that's in your chair, or really if you're using any Bible that you brought, Genesis 1, it's probably on page 1. It's right there at the beginning. It's the first book of the Bible. The first book that introduces the rest of the story. You know, this thing that we hold in our hands, this is a collection of 66 books written from dozens of authors over the span of close to 2,500 years. And in this book, you'll find every imaginable genre following the story of God's people. And although this is such a collection of books, this book tells one story. This book tells one story, and it's the, perhaps the most influential story that's ever been told. And this book has, has shaped nations. Wars have been fought over what this book says. This is perhaps the most studied story in all of history. I mean, there are university classes and lectures and debates about what is in this book. The New York Times bestsellers list, you know, it always has like one, two, three, four, five. It, it actually starts with zero, and that's the Bible. Because this book is the most published and bought and sold book in human history. And every month when they release their list of the top selling books, it's always the Bible, number one. And so they ignore it. And they say, oh, well, that's actually number zero, and we'll start with number one. This book contains the story. The story of life. It's, it's the story of a God who created the world and designed it to be perfect. But we know that that story quickly changes and that perfect design is corrupted as sin enters not only the world but the lives of every human being. But then the story continues and it's a story of a great rescue a great redemption where God himself steps into the story to save his people whom he loves. And the story continues as God's people redeemed by God himself await the restoration of that perfect design. That is what this story has for us. And it starts in Genesis. It starts at the very beginning, the beginning of time itself. And that's where we're going to start this morning as we begin our series in Genesis. And as we read this story, as we talk about this story, we're going to ask three questions. Who was in the beginning? What did he do in the beginning? Why is that important for us today? Who is in the beginning? What did he do in the beginning? And why is that important for us today? Well, we're going to read Genesis 1. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read the whole creation account. But we're not going to focus on every bit of it in the sermon, but I think it's important to get the scope of what this story has for us. So it's going to be a while. Get settled in. We're going to listen to a lot of voices here. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was form without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. 
And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let us separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. There was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which waters swarm according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea. Let the birds multiply on the earth, and there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the hosts of them. 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that this is the beginning of the story, your story. We pray that it would fill our hearts with humility and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That was a lot. So where do we begin? We begin at the beginning. Who was in the beginning? That's our first question. Who was there? And we see in verse 1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was God. It doesn't start, in the beginning, there was the universe, and then God came. It doesn't start, in the beginning, there was nothing, and then there was God. No, it starts, in the beginning, there was God. Before everything, there was God. At the beginning, there was nothing except for God, and then God created everything. That means, in the beginning, God created. He is the start of the universe. He is the beginning of of the universe. There was nothing before God. It's even inconceivable to even say that sentence because in the beginning was God. There was God. Most scientists today, most, most scientists who study the stars and the planets, most scientists that study the molecular makeup of our physical world, most scientists that study Biology and, and animals and the history of animals, they all agree on this one thing. That the universe had a beginning. But most scientists today have, have abandoned the idea of an eternal universe. Almost everyone agrees that the universe had a beginning, a starting point. And you probably know what they refer to. They call it the Big Bang. And this theory of the Big Bang is simply that. That there was a moment, there was a point in which everything that has existed and will exist and does exist, every matter, piece of matter and energy, exploded and spread out into all of the universe. The theory of the Big Bang says the universe has a beginning. We agree. And yet everyone studying the Big Bang is asking this big, important question. What caused it? Like, how did it happen? Genesis 1 tells us, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God started it. He created it. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. It was all God. And this passage goes out of its way to remind us that. In these 34 verses, 35 times God is mentioned. He is almost, except for one instance, the subject of every verb in this chapter. It is all God's doing. He alone is the creator. He was in the beginning, and he caused everything to be. That means that all of creation is about him. All of creation was created by him and for him. 
And if this is the beginning, not only of the universe, but be the beginning of the story, well, it means that the story is about him. The story revolves around him. He is the main character. He is the hero of this story that we call life. If God is the main character of this story, of, of the story of the universe, well, that, that means that it's not about us. The story is not about us. Your story is not ultimately about you. Because your story is within the story of God, and the story of God is about God. You are not the main character. And that's so hard for us. Because we hear all the time that it is about us. We hear that the point of life is to pursue our own happiness. We hear that we are to chart our own path. To, to take hold of your dreams. To chase after your fulfillment, whether that's in a career or in a relationship. We are told all over the place that we are the heroes of our story. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to be happy or to find a career that's fulfilling or to reach goals that you set for yourself. No, I'm not saying don't do those. I'm saying, do you realize that the world does not revolve around you? If we tell kids that, but have we ever told ourselves that? If we are not the main characters, we are not the hero. The story is not about us. God is the main character. But he does create us. We are part of the story. We, we have this supporting role. And our role, our purpose at the story is to find out, to discover what part do we play in the unfolding story of God. It's not that you don't matter. You do. I mean, God creates us and says that we are very good. The creation of man was the, the climax of the story. But it's only when we find ourselves as the supporting role in God's story do we actually find the purpose for our lives. He is the main character, not us. What does this passage tell us about the main character? Though? What does it reveal about who he is? We see in verses 1, 2, and 3 that in the beginning there was, there was God, the God, the one God. And we also see that that God has a spirit, the spirit of God that's hovering over the waters. And then this God, who is also the Spirit of God, speaks. He opens his mouth and he speaks. And so there's the Word of God. And John in the New Testament will tell us that the Word of God is the, the second person of what we call the Trinity. It is Jesus himself, the Son of God. And so even in the beginning of the story, the main character presents himself as not just one God, but one God known in these three persons. God, God the Father, God the Son, the very Word of God, and God the Spirit. This is the beautiful mystery of the Trinity that we believe. That God, yes, is one God, but exists in this 
mysterious three-in-one. At the beginning of time, we see that at a fundamental level, God is a God of relationship, a God of community, a God of love, where the Father and the Son love one another, and the Father and the Spirit love one another, and the Son and the Spirit love one another, and, and all they all exist together as one God in perfect harmony and community and love. The God of this story is a God of love and relationship. No other story of the world, no other religion of the world, no other account of how the world came to be has this kind of God of love. Even today, if you look at the Quran, you cannot say that Allah is a, a God of love. Allah is not a God of love, and yet our story begins with a God of love. That's why John in the New Testament can say, God is love. He exists in perfect community. And so when we get to the end of this chapter and God says, let us make man in our image, how does he do that? He makes man and woman, male and female. He makes a community. What that means is that we are made for community. It is a desire that is fundamental to who we are. We need community because we were made in the image of a communal God. I would go as far as to say that if you are not in community, then you are less than what God made you to be. And the, the highest form of that community is indeed the Christian fellowship with one another as part of the redeemed new creation. I don't want to be selfish here, but I'm going to plug story groups. Like, that is a value of ours at Story Church, that we gather together around a meal to encourage one another and share our own lives because we believe that Genesis 1 tells us we were made for community. We were made for community, so be part of the community. So that is who was in the beginning, God. Before all things, he was there. And he exists three in one. Now let's ask, what did he do in the beginning? What did he do? Well, verse one tells us. He created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. Moses, uh, from Exodus, he is the one who has written Genesis for us. He, he is leading God's people out of Egypt, and they've crossed the Red Sea, and now they're wandering in the wilderness, waiting for God to lead them to the Promised Land. And it's in the wilderness that Moses receives this truth and records it down and gives to God's people this story. That is the original audience of Genesis. And so God's people are hearing for the first time in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
He created everything. God creates light. He separates it from darkness. He creates the heavens above. He creates the sea below. He creates the dry land. He fills it with animals in the sky and in the sea and on the land. He creates everything. God created it all. Too often, we come to this passage asking the wrong questions. I remember for so long, I, I would open up this book and I would ask, well, what about evolution? Or what about natural selection? Where, where is that in the text? Where are dinosaurs in the text? You know, what, what about the age of the earth? What does Moses have to tell us about that? What about this? What about that? Maybe you have approached this text with those questions too. But I think that we're asking the wrong questions. Not that those questions aren't important or good. We definitely need to ask them and, and talk about them and wrestle with them. If you thought I would tackle those this morning, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I don't think that Moses was intending on answering those questions in this passage. Because the people of God at this time weren't asking about, well, what about evolution, God? What about the age of the earth? They, they were asking other questions like, what about the gods of Egypt? We just ran away from them. We knew all about them. They, they worshiped the sun. Should we not be scared of what the gods of Egypt are going to do now that we've run away? Or they're at the Jordan River, and they're looking out to the nations, and they're wondering, what about them and their gods? Because they're seeming like giants. They're raging against one another. Who are we to stand up to those nations and those gods? Those are the questions that they're asking, and it's, it's those questions that Moses responds like this. You know how the Egyptians worshipped the god of the sun, right? You know how your neighbors now worship the gods of fertility so that the crops would grow every season. Or you know how they worship the seasons over there. Let me tell you about your God. Let me tell you about the God that you worship. Your God created their gods. Your God created the sun that the Egyptians worship. Your God created the land and brought forth vegetation, the very thing that your neighbors now long for. Your God is the one who created day and night. He is the one who brought forth every plant on this planet. He is the one who throws the wind and the waves around. He is the one who brings forth life and sustains it. Those gods of the nations are nothing. They are no match for your God. Because your God created the heavens and the earth. He created it all. So trust in him. Do not be afraid of the nations. Your God is with you. He is on your side. Do not look back to Egypt. Do not freak out about what lies ahead. Your God is bigger than them. He created everything. He is on your side. Just have faith. I think that that is what people mean when they say that we need to have faith over fear. 
When you see people holding up signs that say we need to have faith and not fear, or when someone is diagnosed with cancer or some other terminal illness, shirts are made that say faith over fear. And I think that what they mean in that moment is, do you remember the God that we worship? He is the God of the universe. He, he's the one that made your body. He's the one that made every cell of your body. He knows your DNA. He created the way that it works. Yes, he made bacteria and he's sovereign over viruses, but your God is on your side. Don't be afraid. Have faith. Don't be afraid of the news. Don't be afraid of the numbers. Don't be afraid of the illness. Have faith. I think that that's what people mean by that. But we also need to recognize that the same God who created all the plants of the earth also creates the system of agriculture. It says this is the way that you cultivate the earth. The same God who created the beasts of the land also is the one who says, here's how you domesticate them and be a good steward over them and use them to produce good in the world. The same God who created our bodies and knows every cell within us also gave us biology and medicine and health. In fact, throughout the Western world, the leading scientists and Christians who are on the forefront of medicine and healthcare, they were Christians who believed that God created the heavens and the earth. Yes. He is sovereign over our bodies, but he has also given us these systems of healthcare and medicine and invites us to see him as the creator of them all. Yes, we are to have faith and do not be afraid. Our God is on our side, but let us see that he is the creator of all things, including the medicine that we have today. He does give wisdom and knowledge to doctors. Let's take hold of that truth, especially in a time like ours now. We can say that God created medicine and biology and, and science and healthcare because it's just an extension of what we read in chapter one. It's an extension of what God has done in this creation account. If we look through this story, we see a God who takes the things that are formless and brings order to them. We see a God who takes things that are void and fills them with life. This is God's way of creating. He takes things that are nothing and gives vitality to them. Just look real quick. Days one, two, and three. The Lord separates the light from the darkness. He sets the waters above from the waters below. He separates the waters below and makes dry land. And then days four, five, and six, he fills those spaces now with life. He spins the celestial bodies into the heavens. He fills the air with birds and the sea with fish. He scatters the land with animals. And in the climax of that story, he makes you and me. This is a God who takes formlessness and void and fills it with life. This isn't a textbook. This is like a masterpiece. 
He's creating beauty. He's creating an artwork. I watched um, on Netflix, they just released a Bob Ross documentary. Go home and watch it. It is beautiful. You guys know Bob Ross, the painter. Um, BBS, he'd stand there with his palette. He's got eight colors and brushes. And in front of him is a white canvas. And in 25 minutes, in 25 minutes, he takes his paints and his brushes, and he goes like this, and he creates a beautiful landscape. I mean, it, it is some of the most impressive painting ever. It is gorgeous and beautiful. It is so good. If Bob Ross can paint that beauty in 25 minutes with eight colors and a paintbrush, imagine the beauty that God, the God of the universe, with every tool at his hands can paint across the universe in six days. God has created something beautiful. Never in Bob Ross's life, never could he look at his paintings and hear the rushing waters over the waterfall. Never could he hear the chirp of the bird flying by. Never could the wind rustling through the leaves come to his ears because it was just a painting. But this creation, every noise of this world joins together in a declaration of the praise of our creator, the master artist. Just look at how Psalm 19 talks about this. The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals his knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there any words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all of the earth, their words to the end of the world. The psalmist is saying that everything in this world, everything that God has created, sings his praise. They bring glory to him in everything that they do. This unending, eternal song that praises their creator. And we the climax of his creation, the thing in which God says, we are very good. We are invited to join that song, to sing his praises for all of eternity, to declare how great and marvelous he is. Have you joined your voice to that eternal song? Does your life now declare the glory of your creator? That is what God in the beginning did. He created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He created you and he created me. That leads me to my last question. Why is it important for us to read this today? Why is it important to study Genesis 1? Look, we all had biology in high school. We all had those professors in college who debated against this, who said, don't read it, it's not true, it's not real. Why is it important for us to look at this passage 
Because in this story, right at the beginning of the story of the world, we see the way that God acts. We see in this passage his modus operandi, the way that he works, his pattern of activity. And it's right there in verse 3. Into the midst of the darkness, God says, let there be light. And there was light. And it was good. That is what our God does. He sees darkness and says, let there be light. And there was light. This is the way that God works. He takes what's formless and gives it form. He takes what's void and he fills it with light. He takes what is dark and shines his light into it. You could say that every Christian, every believer in Jesus is someone who has had God shine his light into our hearts. That's what our assurance of forgiveness was this morning. In, into the darkness of our lives, into the deadness because of our sin, God said, let there be light. But this teaches us an important message, something that we all know intuitively or experientially. It's true, yes, where God is, there is light. But the opposite is true, too. When God is absent, there is darkness. When God is rejected, there is darkness. We all know, whether other people or even from ourselves, we all know stories of, of times where we have rejected God and have moved towards chaos. We all know, I'm sure, friends whose relationship, after turning away from God or during a rebellious time in their adolescence, relationships began to be destroyed and hurt. We all might know of marriages that have fallen apart after people turn away from the faith. We know that in those times, addictions can arise and and painful decisions can be made. Yes, where God is, there is light. But when God is absent, there is death. There is darkness. Whatever the particulars are, the results are often the same. When God is absent, our lives spiral out of control. It's almost like creation comes undone. When we turn our backs against God, the order and the beauty that God has created begins to decay back into chaos, back into darkness. The people hearing this story from Moses, they knew this to be true. They had just witnessed Pharaoh, who had hardened his heart against God, turned his face away from him and said, no, I will not let your people how did God react? He sent the plagues. And what are the plagues if not creation going back into chaos? Because the first plague, the, the river Nile turned to blood. The source of life for the people became a place of death. And so nothing could live in the, in the waters. The fish all died. The frogs got out of the river. They came on the land and then they died. And what happens when frogs and other animals 
die, what comes? Gnats and maggots to decaying the animal, and flies come carrying disease. And then the flies landed on the cattle and destroyed the animals in Egypt. The plagues are a vision of chaos, of decreation, because where God is rejected, the order of life goes back to darkness. What was the second to last plague? Darkness covered the land. These people knew that, yes, where God is, there is light. And when we turn our back against God, there is darkness. They saw that firsthand. But we know that God's pattern is to bring light into the darkness. This is chiefly shown in the incarnation, where Jesus himself comes into the world, comes into the darkness. Hey, buddy, why don't you go sit over there? He brings light. He brings the light of light into the darkness to cast out the darkness. And just look at the way that he does that. Because, yes, his incarnation is glorious. But it's on the cross that we see this most beautifully. When Jesus is hanging on the cross to die, what does every gospel tell us? From the hours of 12 to 3, utter darkness covered the land. Jesus was experiencing uncreation. Creation was unraveling before him. What was the final plague back in Egypt? The death of the firstborn son. On the cross, Jesus not only experienced the darkness of chaos, but experienced in a final moment absence of God. He is the firstborn of creation, and yet he died. It was the undoing of creation. Why? Jesus was uncreated so that in him and through him, through faith in him, we could be recreated. That we could experience this new creation, a new birth, a new life through him. That is what God invites us into. To experience a new creation. The old past. The new has come. This is the pattern of God. To go towards the darkness. To shine his light. And this is the mission of the church. God calls us into the darkness. I love the show. Oh, I'm going to end with this. I swear. I love the show Hometown on HGTV. I mean, it's like all the other ones. You've got a couple who look around their neighborhood, around their city, and they see darkness. They see hurt, and they see pain. And they say, we're going to move toward our neighbors. We're going to fix up this city. We're going to shed light into the darkness. One house at a time, one business at a time, one family at a time. That is the mission of the church, to look around us and see where is darkness Physically, where is their darkness? Emotionally, where is their darkness? Relationally, spiritually, where is it dark? And where can we as a church bring light? We had this wonderful opportunity yesterday to do just that. Thank you to those who helped out. Because we had the opportunity to bring light into darkness. 
to bring friends together who had never met one another before, to create an opportunity to build community, the very thing that we were made to be a part of. That is the mission of this church, is to go into the world where there is darkness, but to bring the light of life, the hope of glory. I'm glad that you are along with me in that story. Let's pray.